The Lewis Awakening, 1949 to 1953, by Duncan Campbell. Chapter 2. How I Began. In his book, The Second Evangelical Awakening, Dr. Evan Orr, referring to the American Awakening of 1858, writes, A divine influence seemed to pervade the land, and men's hearts were strangely warmed by a power that was outpoured in unusual ways. Every genuine revival of religion has known the gracious touch of this mighty power, falling from on high, moving men as no other power can move them to seek after God. Oh, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1 was the cry of the prophet of old. Was Isaiah conscious of the fertility of man's best in endeavors? Had he come to the end of all human resources? It appears so. This is the place to which the praying group in the parish of Barvis and Lewis came, and it was this consciousness and conviction that throwing them upon the sure promise of God gave birth to the Lewis revival. In writing of the movement, I would like first to state what I mean by revival is witnessed in the Hebrides. I do not mean a time of religious entertainment with crowds gathering to enjoy an evening of bright gospel singing. I do not mean sensational or spectacular advertising in a God-sent revival. You do not need to spend money on advertising. I do not mean high-pressure methods to get men to an inquiry room. In revival, every service is an inquiry room. The road and the hillside become uh, sacred spots to many when the winds of God blow. Revival is a going of God among his people and an awareness of God laying hold of the community. Here we see the difference between a successful campaign and revival. In the former, we may see many brought to a saving knowledge of the truth and the church or mission experience a time of quickening. But so far as the towns and district is concerned, no real change is visible. The world goes on its way, and the dance and picture shows are still crowded. But in revival, the fear of God lays hold upon the community, moving men and women who until then had no concern for spiritual things to seek after God. In the praying men and women of Barbas, four things were made clear, and to them became governing principles. First, they themselves must be rightly related to God, and in this connection the reading of Psalms 24 at one of their prayer meetings brought them down to in the presence of the Lord, where hearts were searched and vows renewed, and in the words of one who was present, they gave to their lives the pulsation of a sacred vow, and with Hezekiah of old, found it in their hearts to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Happy the church and favored the congregation that can produce such men and women. So prayer meetings were held in church and in cottage, and frequently small hours of the morning found the parish minister and the faithful few pleading the promises with a graciousness of God and with a confidence in him that caused them to hope in his word. In the second place, they were possessed with the conviction that God, being a covenant-keeping God, must keep his covenant engagements. Had he not promised to pour water upon him that is thirsty, 
in floods upon the dry ground. Here was something that for them existed in the field of possibility. Why were they not actually experiencing it? But they came at length to the place where, with one of old, they could cry, Our God is able, and he, he will. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees, and looks to God alone, and laughs at impossibilities, and cries, It shall be done. Thirdly, they must be prepared for God to work in his own way, and not according to their programming. God was sovereign and must act according to his sovereign purpose, but even keeping in mind that, while God is sovereign in the affairs of men, his sovereignty does not relieve men of responsibility. God is the God of revival, but man is the human agent through whom revival is possible. Fourthly, there must be a manifestation of God demonstrating the reality of the divine in operation when men would be forced to say, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It is therefore not surprising that in the month of December 1949, God did visit the parish church of Barvis with revival blessing that, in a very short time, leaped the bounds of the parish, bringing refreshing and spiritual life to many all over the island. Here mention must be made of the part played by the parish minister, the late Reverend James Murray McKay. For months he and his office bearers had prayed for an outpouring of the Spirit of God, and now the time had come when they felt that, as a congregation, they were called upon to act. But so wonderful are the ways of God that the minister of Barbas had to go to Strapherfer Convention to have revealed to him, through the ministry of the Reverend Dr. T. Finch, now of Belfast, the action to be taken. Great was his encouragement on returning to his parish to be told that God, in a vision of the night, had revealed to him uh, one of the praying group, not only that revival was coming, but also the instrument to be used as a channel. The person revealed in the vision was the one mentioned at Strathperfer. In a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instruction. Job 33, verse 15 and 16. So it was that word was sent to the director of the faith mission in Edinburgh, as a result of which I found myself in Lewis in December 1949. The supernatural working of God, the Holy Spirit, in revival power, is something that no man can fully describe, and it would be folly to attempt it. There are, however, features of the Lewis Revival, which also characterized revivals of the past, one of which is the spirit of expectancy. Here I found a group of men who seemed to be living on the high plane of implicit confidence in God. That was the conviction and assurance that breathed in every prayer offered in the memorable first meeting of my sojourn in the Hebrides, and my first contact with this congregation fully convinced me that a revival had already come. It was to be my privilege to have some small share in it. One will never forget the hush of the awful presence of God as we sat waiting for the opening psalm to be announced. Truly, one would say, the heaven came down, our souls to greet, and glory crowned the mercy seat. Here is a scene witnessed during the first days of the movement. A crowded church, the service is over, 
the congregation, reluctant to disperse, stand outside the church in a silence that is tense. Suddenly a cry is heard within. A young man, burdened for the souls of his fellow men, is pouring out his soul in intercession. He prays until he falls into a trance and lies prostrate on the floor of the church. But heaven had heard, and the congregation, moved by the power that they could not resist, came back into the church, and a wave of conviction of sin swept over the gathering, moving strong men to cry to God for mercy. This service continued until the small hours of the morning, but so great was the distress and so deep the hunger which gripped men and women that they refused to go to home. And already were assembling in other parts of the parish. An interesting and amazing feature of this early morning visitation was the number who made their way to the church moved by a power they had not experienced before. Others were deeply convicted of their sin and crying for mercy in their own homes before ever coming near the church. None of those present will forget that morning meeting as the assembled company sang, I will not come within my house, nor rest in my bed at all, nor shall my eyes take any sleep, nor eyelids slumber shall, till for the Lord a place I find, where he may make abode, a place of habitation for Jacob's mighty God. There was a moving scene, some weeping in sorrow and distress, others with joy and love filling their hearts, falling upon their knees, conscious only of the presence and power of God who had come in revival blessing. Within a matter of days, the whole parish was in the grip of a spiritual awakening. Churches became crowded with services continuing until three o'clock in the morning. Work was largely put aside as young and old were made to face eternal realities. Soon the fire of blessing spread to the neighboring parishes. Carlway witnessed a gracious manifestation of the power of God that will surely live in the annuals of Lewis revivals. The minister of that parish was assisting with the meetings at Barbas. God was mightily at work, and a number of men were in great distress of soul. Two of these were pipers who were to have played at a concert and dance at Carlway. The minister of Carlway had had a concern to witness at this dance. Leaving the meetings at Barvis, he arrived at the dance at about 3.30 a.m. Almost immediately after he entered the hall, the dancing ceased, and he thereupon proposed that they should sing two verses of the Gaelic song. Not all were immediately favorable to this, but after a special appeal, Psalms 139, verse 7 was sung. Some present joined in. From thy spirit, whither shall I go? or from thy presence fly. Ascend I heaven, lo, thou art there. There, if in hell, I lie. He then engaged in prayer and followed with a few words of exhortation, and suddenly the power of God swept through the company, and almost immediately the music of dance gave place to the cry of penitence. Opposition broke down under conviction of sin and distress of soul. This applies especially to the schoolmaster's son, who was acting M.C., before leaving the hall, the minister related the news that the pipers and others who were to have been at the dance had decided for Christ in the kitchen meeting at Barbara's two hours before. Soon the whole proceeding came to an end, and those present dispersed to their homes, bewildered and amazed. 
that same night in, the, in his own home, the schoolmaster came under deep conviction, and on the following Monday his wife also completely broke down. They now blaze a trail for God in their parish, and Ness becomes the scene of a most gracious movement. At Ness, meetings were held in the afternoon and evening, and frequently on into the morning. Churches, halls, private houses, and even furniture and meal stores were used to accommodate men and women seeking for God. Perhaps the greatest miracle of all was in the village of Arnold. Here, indifference to the things of God held the field, and a good deal of opposition was experienced. But prayer, the mighty weapon of the revival, was resorted to and evening given to waiting upon God. Before midnight, God came down. The mountains flowed down at his presence, and a wave of revival swept the village. Opposition and spiritual death fled before the presence of the Lord of life. Here was demonstrated the power of the prevailing prayer, and that nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. There are those in Arnold today who will bear witness to the fact that while a brother prayed, the very house shook. I could not stand in silence as wave after wave of divine power slept, swept through the house and in a matter of minutes following this heaven-sent visitation, men and women were on their faces in distress of soul. It is true that in this village God had his watchmen. Thank God there are many such in Lewis and Harris. It is one of such men who, when he witnessed the mighty power of God in this village, asked that he might sing the 126 Psalms. When Zion's bondage God turned back, as men that dreamed were we. Then filled with laughter was our mouth, our tongue with melody. Some time ago, while passing through this village, I was met by an old man whose salutation was in the following words. I am glad to be alive to witness this day. Then pointing to a particular house, he said, Do you see that house? That was the drinking house of this village, where our young men met in utter disregard of God, whose his word or his day. Today it is closed, and the men who frequent it are praying in our prayer meetings. What a joy it is now to see such numbers going to the house of God on the Sabbath, or looking forward with joyful anticipation to the weekly prayer meetings. Some time ago I remarked to a friend, that is surely a wonderful sight, referring to the large numbers of people going to church. Yes, he replied, but before the revival one seldom saw more than four from this village going to church on Sabbath morning. One young man, speaking for the youth of the district, said, We did not know what church going meant until the revival came. Now the prayer meeting is the weekly attraction, and the worship of God in his house on the Sabbath, our chief delight. End of chapter 2, having been read by Peter John Parises, also known as Brian Dean. None of my own audios are copyrighted. Please feel free to make as many copies as you desire to the glory of God.